So we're continuing with the teaching in John's Gospel and we're at John chapter, well actually we're finishing off the last couple of verses in John uh, John chapter 2. We're primarily moving into John chapter 3 today and, and just to give a backdrop, I really felt like I wanted just to read off what I wrote here rather than try and just start right into speaking. I just feel I need to actually say this, so I'm going to read it because I feel it gives us a real good backdrop to what God wants to say to us today. And the first thing I want to say is that our title is God, Jesus offers you his best is our title. And uh, I just want to say this, that God always has the best for his children. Originally, he created us in his image to co-partner with him on the earth as part of his family. But we lost it all in the garden when we turned to the enemy and listened to his lies, thereby cutting ourselves off from our divine father and his inheritance for us. But God had a rescue plan already in place. His plan was to send his son, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. We've been listening a lot to in John's Gospel how Jesus came as the Lamb of God to come and die for our sins, to become our sin bearer, to legally buy us back from the wicked one who ensnared us with his lies at the beginning. God gave the law and the prophets to the Jewish nation as a foretaste of his plan and purposes. But the Jews misunderstood because they expected Messiah to come in military might to fight for them and set them free from the oppression of worldly powers. Instead, Jesus came as a humble Nazarene and did his first miracle We see that John, remember that John called them signs, his first miracle or sign at a wedding to show his identity as Messiah. He was demonstrating the superabundance and the richness of his grace and provision whenever he turned the water into the best wine. And he was, he was actually showing us that he had the power to change not just water into wine, but a life of trying to please God through the law into lives that had the law written on human hearts through the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, here's the words from the Old Testament that kind of gives us another picture of this. just want to read them to you. This is the words that God spoke in the Old Testament. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your idols. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall heed my ordinances and do them. In other words, he was was prophesying in the Old Testament, he was going to give us this new heart by the Holy Spirit, that we would actually want to do what he is created us to do. After the water was turned into wine, Jesus showed his zeal for his father's house when he went up to Jerusalem and cleansed the temple. We looked at that last week and now we're going to continue with the story. And at the end of John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, I'm just going to read those and we see that um, verse 20, 23. Now when he, that's Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. 
But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. In other words, he knew exactly what their thoughts and what their hearts, what was really in their hearts. And I was just reminded by Psalm 139, where again in the Old Testament, where the Spirit of God had said that he knows us. He knows, he actually knows your down sitting and your uprising. Psalm 139 says. In other words, he knows when you sit down. He knows when you get up. And it says he knows every thought in your mind. And even knows every word that you're going to speak before you speak it. The Bible says he has searched us and known us. God knows you inside out. God knows you better than you know yourself. And so as we move into John chapter 3, we see that this man who was a ruler of the Jews, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the, the very elite council of religious leaders who actually were the court, who were the rulers of Israel. And Nicodemus was one of these people. And uh, he came to Jesus at night time. And we're going to read about what happened. And honestly, I have been so blessed. I have I remember learning this this chapter John 3 whenever I was at Sunday school. Like just a wee girl. And just like rhyming it off like a parrot. But do you know something? My heart has been just bust open as I've read this again this week. Because there's something in here that I believe God wants to really just pour into our spirits. To catch something new of God's love for us and what he wants to do in our lives. So we knew everything about Nicodemus. And I've just written here... Just a little bit about Nicodemus. He wanted to know the truth, having heard of or perhaps even witnessed the signs. He might have been at some of these miracles, who knows. But whatever, Nicodemus was convinced that Jesus must at least be a teacher who came from God. We don't know why he came at night time, but perhaps he didn't want to be interrupted in his conversation with Jesus. And until he had reached a decision about Jesus, maybe he didn't want to actually identify himself with, with Jesus. Maybe he didn't want his, his colleagues on the, on the Sanhedrin. Maybe he didn't want them to know that he was even interested in Jesus at this point in his life. Anyhow, let's read the first couple of verses. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That means he was ruling in the Sanhedrin. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, Rabbi is the, the Jewish word for teacher. We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. So here we are, and Jesus knows everything that's going on in his heart. Jesus understands this man wholly, and Jesus is going to teach him some things. And I believe he wants to teach. What does a teacher do? I believe a good teacher, and Jesus is the best of teachers, is one who actually gives you revelation in your heart where you actually see something different, where you get, oh, wow, I never saw that before. That's a good teacher. And Jesus is the best teacher it's possible for any human being to have. He was a Jewish rabbi. Let's just read verses 3 to 5 to see what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In the, in, the, in the Hebrew language, the idea of born again, and so far as Nicodemus would have understood it, was born again from above. That was the real meaning. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb 
and be born. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter, or he cannot see, some translations say, the kingdom of God. So we've got to realise that Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. He was known as a rabbi. And this man, Nicodemus, had crept up at night time, perhaps not wanting to be associated with Jesus, coming in the dark, maybe thinking, I'll get a bit of peace to talk to this man and, and cross-question him and find out a little bit more as to what's going on, what are these signs all about. And so he comes to Jesus and he's wondering what this term, Jesus says, you must be born again or you must be born again from above. And Nicodemus is obviously wondering what this means. Now the thing is, and I learned this from the, the Jewish study Bible, Apparently, the Jewish people in that, at that particular time would have understood that term born again to be a number of things. For example, the first thing was that if a, if a Gentile, someone who wasn't a Jew, if they wanted to convert to being a Jew, to turn away from the Gentile idols and religions and become a Jew, they could go through circumcision and they could go through a, 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 a sort of a, an immersion in water and all of that, and they could become legally a Jew, or it was, they were known as a proselyte. And the, the, actually the rabbi, rabbis would have described someone who converted to Judaism, they would have described him as being like a newborn infant. Isn't that interesting? That even back then in the Jewish religion. So this would not have been a new term for Nicodemus. He would have understood this term of being born again from above. Now the other thing I didn't know before was that a Jewish boy who had his bar, mitz bar mitzvah, you know at the age of 13 where they had that ceremony of becoming a man, that was also referred to as being born again. So it was, it was also referred to being born again when somebody got married. And I'm sure that's quite true. And it was quite a, big, quite a big change when you get married. And then the term was also used when someone was ordained as a rabbi. And of course we know that, that uh, Nicodemus was a rabbi. And, uh, and also when they became a member of the Sanhedrin. Now we know that Nicodemus was married because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And one of the things you have to, you have to be married to be a member of the council of the Sanhedrin. Uh, and also if someone became the head of a rabbinical school, in other words, if they, if they headed up a school that taught people to become rabbis, they were also called born again. And here's the interesting thing, that we know, well, Nicodemus, he, didn't, he, was a, he wasn't a Gentile, he was a Jew, so he didn't need to convert to Judaism, he didn't need to be a proselyte, so he wasn't born again in that sense. But in every other sense, he had already come through this, because uh, he was... Um, it, it, as a boy of 13 he'd come through his bar mitzvah he had got married he had become a rabbi and he had moved into the Sanhedrin and actually he was also the head of a rabbinical school because someone who was the head of one of these schools was known as a ruler in Israel and later on as we read through this we're going to see that Jesus said to him and you're not a ruler in Israel and you don't know these things so we, we know he was actually born again in all of these senses so no wonder Jesus was, or no wonder Nicodemus was a bit confused. Maybe he was thinking, well, I've already gone through all of that. How can I be born again? What is this man talking about? He was, he was confused. And you see, as far as a Jewish man was concerned, or a woman, the analogy of being born of water, born from above and born of water, immediately the Jewish mind would have gone to actually being born as a child in the natural 
And actually, we do the same, don't we? Because, you know, when a woman's pregnant, what happens before the child comes? Her waters break. So it's a very, it's a very easy picture to see. And Jesus was no doubt talking about that as well. He was talking about how, because he said that that was just born of the flesh is flesh and that's what's born of the spirit of spirit so jesus got that and so did nicodemus nicodemus no doubt understood that jesus was saying you know about being born of water was about this natural childbirth but also to the jewish mind as well as thinking uh, in terms of child of natural childbirth the jewish mind also thought of spiritual cleansing if you think back to the the gentile coming and and being uh, circumcised and then going through water this was it was a terminology for cleansing and Jesus was speaking of exactly the same thing but there were kind of a two different levels because Nicodemus could he could kind of grasp what he was talking about being born of water but he couldn't get what did Jesus mean by being born again from above of the spirit he couldn't grasp that at all he couldn't he couldn't just get it now here's the thing and I want us to stop here for a moment I'm going to read right through from verse, well, I've already started to read from verse 1, but I'm going to read this morning right through to verse 21. And we're going to finish our teaching at verse 21. But somewhere along the way, as we, as we kind of listen in to this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, somewhere along this line, somewhere along this conversation, it seems to me that Nicodemus slips away. He stops responding. He stops listening to the conversation. He stops responding to Jesus. And, and I want you to listen as we go through these verses and see if you can detect where it seems that maybe he has slipped out of the conversation and maybe left Jesus on his own. And I suppose as I thought of that through the week, I thought, how often do we start to listen to Jesus and then stop somewhere along the line? And maybe get discouraged or maybe can't understand and just kind of slope off into the darkness to do our own thing. So I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we continue on our teaching. So let's just look at John 3 verses 6 to 8 as Jesus teaches about being born again of the Spirit. So let's just read from verse, verse 6. Jesus had already said, most assuredly, I say to you, verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And Jesus said, don't marvel, don't be amazed, don't be astounded that I'm saying to you, you must be born again. And then he goes into verse 8 and he says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I want to read from the notes here because they've got it concisely the way I want to say this. In the natural, we're born in flesh. We've already looked at that. And when we trust Jesus as Saviour and Lord, when we realise he died on the cross for us, at that moment of understanding and receiving Jesus into our hearts at that very moment we receive the Holy Spirit who makes the spirit part of us which was dead through sin you see when you were born the Bible says that you were born naturally you were born in the flesh but the spirit part of you that was connected to God at the beginning in the garden of Eden that that actually because of our sin has been cut off therefore we lost that we lost that connection of life 
And so the spirit part of us that was actually dead through sin actually comes alive by the spirit at the moment of salvation. And we know that to be true because Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you who were dead in Christ have been made alive through Christ Jesus. So that's amazing, isn't it? That we, at the moment of trusting Jesus as Saviour and Lord, that spirit part of us, the Holy Spirit, touches it, breathes into it, and it becomes alive, and we are reconnected to God. The Holy Spirit breathes. Now, the Greek word for spirit eh, or for wind, the wind of the spirit, is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. And there's a few nurses around me here, so you'll know if you get pneumonia... It's because you have something wrong with your breathing. Isn't that right? And so the spirit, one of the, one of the words for the spirit is pneuma, which is the same word as pneumonia, where the spirit breathes that life into you. So at that moment of trusting Jesus as your saviour, the spirit of God actually breathes. It's a bit like, do you remember a few mornings ago, out in the prayer room, we, we had this picture of how Jesus wants to breathe new life into us, just as if he was resuscitating us and uh, and so it's very very precious so the holy spirit breathes because the, the word for spirit is breath he breathes life into our spirit and we become alive to god again now we've already said that the jews they had no problem thinking about born of the spirit and they thought that born of, born of water, or, sorry, they had no problem of thinking about being born of water because they saw that as natural birth and also cleansing. But Jesus is now making the point that after natural birth, we need to be born again from above, not only to be cleansed from our sin, not only to, be, to receive forgiveness, but to receive the Holy Spirit and to be baptised into Christ. That's where the, the Holy Spirit breathe and there's this immersion not just in water but actually an immersion into Christ and uh, Luke chapter 3 verse 16 John the Baptist had said I baptize you with water but one mightier than I is coming and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire so at that moment of receiving Jesus we are baptized the Spirit breathes that life into us we come to life our spirit man comes to life and we actually, the fire of God comes into our being as we are baptised into Christ. And Galatians 3, verses 27, I haven't actually written it down, so I'm going to look it up here just to read it to you. Galatians 3 talks about this as well, so that you will know that we're not just saying this off the top of our head, but it says, um, um, for verse Genesis, or Galatians 3, uh, 3 verse 27 for as many of you as were baptized into christ have put on christ for you're all sons of god through faith in christ jesus for as many of you as were baptized into christ have put on christ and so jesus is teaching about this what it means to be born of the spirit and he's trying to get this across to Nicodemus and he's trying to explain that once you receive Jesus as your saviour he's trying to explain that there's a new dimension in living that you're not just living on the one dimension in your flesh but you now have your spirit made alive and so you can actually operate operate outside the natural uh, by the wind of the spirit and when the wind of the spirit breathes on you then he breathes in mysterious 
and supernatural ways because he now takes over your life to guide you in ways that you didn't know before. So whenever, you, whenever you're born naturally and you haven't come to Christ, you're operating through your thinking, you're ra- radically, you're rationalizing everything, you're putting on your thinking cap, you're working things out yourself. But when you trust Jesus as your saviour, you, the spirit of God comes in, lives inside you, breathes on your spirit, makes your spirit come alive. And so now the spirit of God is able to breathe life over you and begin to show you how to live a life in a different dimension, different level. You now begin to hear God in, in different ways. And this is what Jesus meant when he said the wind or the spirit blows where he wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. I'll tell you, the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, is amazing. I've written in your notes, after salvation, the indwelling presence of God who comes from above moves in our hearts to supernaturally comfort, help, guide, convict, counsel, etc., etc. You can read, it's, it's all over your New Testament, but particularly around the chapters of John's chapter, John chapters 14 to 15, you can read quite a bit there as to what the Holy Spirit does. He also comes so that we no longer become spiritual orphans. He gives us a whole new dignity, a whole new life, and, and so just as amazing. And you know, I know that if you've trusted Jesus, you know what I'm talking about to some degree. Because we all experience, once you trust Jesus as Saviour, we begin to experience the Holy Spirit. And you know, even over the weekend, I had a really busy week last week. One of those weeks where there was an awful lot going on. And it just seemed that every time I sat down to spend time with God, something else happened. And you you know what I'm talking about. And at the end of the week, you're going around, you're thinking, I'm gasping to sit down with God. I just need him. I, I can't go on. And I was absolutely like, I was just... I was at my end, like, I just really knew I needed time with God. And I was down here, from down here on Friday morning to meet up with Jerry and Joy, and just felt, oh, girls, I'm just, I'm wasted. I just don't know, I haven't even thought about Egas, I don't know what, what's going to, what God wants to say. And usually by that time in the week, by Friday, you know, I would begin to be getting something from the Lord and begin to put it together. Just felt totally empty. And the girls started to pray over me and, and they began to pray, you know, about the Spirit moving. And, and this verse came back to me. How the Spirit moves and you don't know where he's coming or where he's going. And you know, so many times in my life I've experienced that. Have you? Where you just, you don't know, you know that you're not right. You know that you need some kind of infilling, some kind of freshness. You know that you need some kind of a touch from God, but you don't understand how you can get it. And you can't do it by going through some ritual. And even if you read like about 10 chapters, it's still not going to help you because unless the Spirit of God comes and makes some of those words out of that Bible come alive, it's just it's a ritual. It's nothing. It will not help you. Like Who knows what I'm talking about? So I goes home and I says, Lord, you know what? I just need you and I'm going to just stop getting anxious about this, but I'm going to trust you that you're going to begin to speak to me. And you know, I could tell you how it happened. It was a bit strange, but actually it was, it was strange. I was actually responding to something in Facebook and I started to write something. And as I was writing in Facebook, a song I had the headphones on, I was listening to music at the same time. Good thing to listen to worship music if you're feeling like that. Had the worship music on. And just as I was writing on Facebook, this song came on that meant a lot to me. And do you know the Holy Spirit who blows, and we don't know where he's coming, don't know where he's, he just blew. And the tears started to come down my cheek. And I felt the presence of God. And I felt that infilling that I knew I needed. And that was a kickstart. 
That was it. And you know, we, this is the wonderful thing about being a believer, about belonging to Jesus Christ. We know, we know this breath of God in us. And we can't work it out. It's not by, it's not by a prescription. It's not by do this, this and this and that will equal this. It's by knowing this moving. You know, the Holy Spirit, God continuously, he's a God who moves in love. I believe it's a continuous motion of love, of, of love being passed between the Trinity and passed between the Bride of Christ. And there's this continuous movement. And we need to be ready, waiting for the flow. And if we feel empty, just get in line for the, for the, for the wind to hit you again, for the breath of God to breathe over you and to give you that new life. This is a living relationship that we have entered into. And at this moment, I have to say, if you don't know Jesus as your saviour, then you need to enter into this by faith because there's a living relationship that God wants you to experience. And it's supernatural. And it's not on that dimension of flesh. It is birth. It is God. He wants to bring you to the point of being born again from above by his spirit. He wants to bring you into link with heaven where you begin to live this supernatural, abundant life. Now, <clears throat> let's read on. Jesus has just read about how the wind's blowing. And Nicodemus is still with us. Okay, you got this? He's still with us. So let's look down at verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? In other words, you're head of the rabbinical uh, school. You're the, you're the teacher. And you don't know these things? Most assuredly, Jesus said, I say to you, and this is in response to Nicodemus saying, How can these things be? Jesus says, We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, said Jesus, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. What, did Jesus, what, is, what was Jesus saying? Nicodemus says, how can this be? What are you talking about? What is this all about? What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? And Jesus just says, well, you're a teacher? You don't understand? Well, I'll tell you how I can teach you. I have come from heaven. That's how I can teach you of heavenly things. I have seen what goes on in heaven. I'm the son of man that has come from heaven. And that's why I can teach you about heavenly things. That's why I can teach you about the new birth that comes from above. I have come down from above. He was, he was showing this man who he was. He was trying to convince him. He was, he was putting his credentials out there. He was an I've come down from heaven. I just think the next bit of this, it kind of blows me away. I wrote in your notes, then knowing that Nicodemus knew the scriptures and was familiar with the life of Moses and the law, it seems to me that Jesus is now going a step further to try and help him to understand because he wanted Nicodemus to understand that he had come from above to give this new life, this new birth to all of humanity, to bring life to the world. Let's read verses 14 and let's see where we're going. Do you think Nicodemus is still, is still here? Let's just read this through. 
If I've told you of earthly things and you don't believe, said Jesus, how do you believe if I teach you of heavenly things? And then he goes on to say in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Nicodemus's last words were, how can this be? And Jesus has explained to him, I've come down from heaven, that's why I can talk to you about heavenly things. And then he takes an Old Testament situation that he knows, remember he knows everything about Nicodemus, and he knows that Nicodemus as a rabbi and as the head of a rabbinical school, he knows that Nicodemus knows this Old Testament scripture, and he starts to remind Nicodemus of this time in the wilderness when the children of Israel had turned their backs on God and really grieved God. You remember the story? And were, uh, because they were they'd so grievously sinned against God, God had sent these serpents to come and the serpents bit them and they were dying in the desert. And when the people came to Moses and said, save us from this, when they came to Moses for help, Moses cried out to God and God told him to make a, a serpent and to put it up on a pole and that whoever would look at the pole would live would be healed. And so it tells us in Numbers 21, uh, so Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on the pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, isn't it very strange that Jesus would take that particular story and tell that particular story, remind Nicodemus of the story. I think Nicodemus was still here at this point, by the way. Um, and so he begins to repeat and, and remind, uh, Moses, uh, remind Nicodemus of this story of, of Moses and the serpent on the pole. I'm going to read your notes again because uh, I, want, I, I want to make sure we have plenty of time for this. Jesus was giving insight to Nicodemus. And he was doing it from the scriptures, from Numbers 21. He was giving him insight as to how Messiah would be lifted up on the cross to become sin like the serpent. Remember, the serpent's a picture of sin. And, and I believe that, that Jesus was giving insight to Nicodemus to see that the Messiah that God was going to send, that that picture in the wilderness was actually a picture of the Messiah and that God was one day going to lift him up. To die to become sin for us, and of course, Second uh, Corinthians five, uh, verse twenty-one tells us: "For God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him." One of my favourite scriptures. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, who knew no sin, who who was the perfect sacrifice, you know. We couldn't have died for each other. We couldn't have borne each other's sin. It had to be a sinless sacrifice, didn't it? And Jesus was a sinless sacrifice. And so he was the perfect one, the one who was like the Lamb of God without blemish. Remember the Old Testament? They had to examine the Lamb before, it was, before they, they, they brought it as an offering for sin. And Jesus was perfect. He, had, he was examined throughout his life. The people examined him. God, he was a perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice. And so he's showing, he's trying to show and give insight to Nicodemus. 
that the picture of Moses putting up this serpent of brass in the wilderness, that that's a picture of Jesus being lifted up on a cross to die for the sins of the world. And it's amazing that we've said about 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 where he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. It's interesting, a couple of verses before that, it says anyone in Christ is it. Anyone who is in Christ, behold, he is a new creation. All things become new. And so the two things are linked together. You can't be born again. You can't be a new creation. You can't experience the spirit and this whole new way of living unless you understand that Jesus became sin so that you could be forgiven, so that your dead spirit could be made alive and you'd be born again and able then to actually begin to live in this whole new dimension of spirit. We can all understand the forgiveness of being wiped in the water, but do we get it that we have the Holy Spirit and that he breathes his life in us and he teaches us and he comes alongside us, the scriptures tell us, and he counsels and he, I mean, he's the one who breathes even the even the gifts as well as the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace is the fruit, but the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit is breathing and wants to do more in your life. Do you understand it? Do you get it? Can you see that this morning? That's my question. Do you see that afresh this morning? That the Spirit wants to breathe on you and do all of these wondrous things that he's already planned for your life? But the enemy doesn't want us to see it. Nicodemus couldn't see this at this time. He just couldn't get it. I wrote in your notes, when we read about this being a new creation and about Christ taking our sin on his own body, becoming sin for us. In other words, whoever looks to Jesus for new life with eyes of faith will live. Now, I have to read to you a verse. I love the way the Old Testament links up with the New. And I've just got to show you this verse in uh, Isaiah 45, verse 22. Way back in the Old Testament, where Isaiah, who wrote Isaiah 53 and described prophetically the exact sufferings of the Messiah. And the Jews didn't get it. They didn't, didn't catch on. It was like they were blinded that their Messiah was going to suffer and die. They only saw a Messiah who was going to ride in the white horse and save them from the nations and help them to set up on their rule and be, be the rulers over the world. They didn't see the suffering Messiah. But in Isaiah 45, as well as writing about the crucifixion and the pain that Jesus would go through when he was bruised for our iniquities, when he, was, when he went through all of that grief for our sins, Isaiah 45, here's what Isaiah said, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And so when he was talking to Nicodemus and he was, he was saying, look, in the Old Testament, when they looked and saw the serpent on the pole, lifted up on the pole, as soon as they looked, they were healed. They lived. They found life. And he's trying to give this picture. He's trying to, he's trying to bring illumination and understanding into this great scholar. Nicodemus is a wonderful scholar. I mean, he's head over the school. He's teaching these rabbis how to become rabbis. He's a ruler. He's, he's, he's involved in the Sanhedrin. He rules like a court over the major decisions of Israel. This is a man who knows his stuff, and yet he is blinded that God would send his Messiah to become sin for the world. In fact, I actually, as I thought about this and pondered about it and prayed about it this week, I actually feel that this was too big a step 
for Nicodemus. It was almost like him knowing all of all the glory of God and knowing the scriptures in the Old Testament and knowing the law and teaching all of the. It was almost like he could not understand or or begin to to, to have any concept that the God of Israel would be prepared to send his son, the Messiah, to actually become sin, like the serpent. It was like this was a step too far. That's what I think. I think that Nicodemus was absolutely... I wrote in your notes, was, was this the point where, where, where it seems that Nicodemus has stopped replying to Jesus? Was he still listening? Was this thought too big for him? Was this religious leader unable to comprehend that God would send his Messiah to be like the serpent in the wilderness? And then here's the thought. And you know, this has warmed my heart so much. I wonder, is Nicodemus still there at this point? I have a notion maybe he is. And I wonder, is he thinking, how could a God? How could a God do this? How could the God that I know, the Yahweh, and you remember the Jews spoke the word Yahweh, it was like a breath. How is this God that, I, that, that we the Jews, they wouldn't even repeat his name. This God that the Jews had such awe of. And, and I wonder, it was Nicodemus thinking, how could this God, how could Yahweh allow his own son to be made sin, to be like that serpent. How could this be? And I wonder, is that where the next verse comes in? Is that why Jesus went on to say, for God so loved the world that he gave us only beloved son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have this everlasting, eternal life. I wonder, we, we take that verse out of context. I wonder, was he not was he not continuing to speak to Nicodemus? I wonder if Nicodemus at this point, I wonder was he overcome? I wonder, I wonder what, what the impact on his spirit was when he heard those words. Let me just read on to you. For God so loved the world. And then it goes on to say in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. That's the end of our reading for today. But it's not the end of Nicodemus. Where was he? At what point did he leave? At what? He has stopped talking. Where, where did he leave Jesus? What, what had gone on in his heart? Well, there's two more places where he's mentioned in John's Gospel, and I want to mention them to you. John's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 46. Let's just read this. John's Gospel, chapter 7. Verse 45 actually gives us the background. They were trying to, if you go back to verse 44, they were actually trying to lay hands on Jesus. They were trying to catch him out. Verse 45 says, Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? So they were trying to catch Jesus. Verse 46, The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees are Nicodemus' colleagues. They're the ones who are leading, they're, they're the religious leaders. Then the Pharisees answered and said, Are you also deceived? 
have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? So can you see the interrogation? They're, they're saying, Isn't it, surely there's none of us that have believed in him. And Nicodemus is standing there. He goes on to say, but, the crowd, but this crowd that does not know the law is cursed. So these leaders are saying, is any of us, any of the, any of the Pharisees believe in this man? Because the crowd's believing and they're cursed. That's really what he's saying. Nicodemus, verse 50, the, the one who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? You see, he's trying to stick up for Jesus. Verse 52, the Pharisees answered and said to Nicodemus, are you also from Galilee? Search the scriptures and know that no prophet has come out of Galilee. You don't see Nicodemus saying one word other than trying to kind of put a wee plea in there, just a wee plea to listen. So we see there that he doesn't seem as if he is fully committed to Jesus. But then we look over in John chapter 19. John chapter 19 is all about the crucifixion. It's all about Jesus being lifted up on the cross. We haven't time to read the whole chapter. I'd love to do that. I'd love you to do it at home. John 19 gives us the story and the picture of Jesus lifted up on the cross. And here's the thing. When Jesus died on the cross, there were two men who came to take him down. One was Joseph of Arimathea, who went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus and was prepared to put and to lay the body of Jesus into his own new tomb. It was prophesied in Isaiah 53 that he would be buried with the rich. That prophecy was fulfilled. This rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, gave him his new tomb. He was buried in that tomb. But here's the wonderful thing. Who is with, who is with Joseph of Arimathea? Let me just read to it. Let me just read you the verses in John 19, verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. I don't know, dear, the weight, a hundred pounds weight. That was so costly. That must have cost a small fortune, maybe a large fortune. And it says, Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in the strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now, in the place... Where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. You know, those of you who have been to Israel with us will know that when we go to the garden tomb, you can look across and you can see what we believe to be Calvary, the place of the skull. And then just as you go, just turn around, you're in the garden, and you just see this empty tomb. And I can, I can imagine, I can visualise Nicodemus coming. But here's the thing that God showed me, and just when, when Jane and I were talking about this this morning, I felt I got a real fresh understanding of this. I personally believe, I'm not having biblical written down exactly as to what I'm about to say, but here's what I feel. I feel that Nicodemus was probably wavering a little bit, wanting to maybe receive Jesus, maybe hadn't quite done it. You know what I think? You know what I think did it for him? When he saw Jesus on the cross, lifted up, 
I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to him. We know he said the Holy Spirit breathed on us. Don't know where he's coming or going. I believe he breathed on the understanding of Nicodemus. And he suddenly saw the fulfillment of that prophetic word that Jesus was indeed the serpent in the wilderness. That Jesus was indeed made sin for us and lifted up on the cross. And I believe his eyes were opened. I believe he saw just the way in the Old Testament they had to see, they had to look at the serpent. Look and live. Isn't that what it said in Isaiah 45? Look and live. And that's exactly what I believe happened. I believe Nicodemus took a look at Jesus on the cross and the Holy Spirit hit him and he realised this is the one who's become, he has become, God has given his son to become sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. I believe he fully understood what Jesus had been teaching him in John chapter 3. Isn't that just amazing? So here's the point as we begin to wind up for today. God's plan for you is super abundant life. John 10 and 10 says he came to give you life and to give it to you more abundant. Being born again from above will give you continuous cleansing and infilling of the Holy Spirit. But here's the question I want to ask you. Are you going to stick with, with Jesus? Are you going to continue to, to stick to hang in there? Are you prepared to listen to him even when it feels like he's not speaking or it feels like there's too much going on in your life or that it just feels like you're too busy or, or life is too hard? Are you prepared to say, God, I want to stick myself with you. Lord, I don't want to miss what you have for me. Are you prepared to stick with Jesus and see him working out his purposes in your life? Are you going to slip away and waste more time before you finally see the love that Jesus has for you. Not only to, to wash you clean with the, the water from above, not only to cleanse you and forgive you, but by his spirit to live supernaturally through you and to bring to pass the things that he's ordained for you to do in your lifetime from before the foundations of the world. Are you prepared to hang in and trust him, to actually see that love in his eyes and to trust him with everything you've got? That's the question I want to ask you. Today when I got here, I realised I'd left something at home. And uh, I'd actually ripped it up because I hadn't realised what it was. And I'd thrown it in the bin. And I realised at five past eleven that this was in the bin. So I had to jump in the car and run back to get it. Because I really wanted to share this with you. Because um, it's a testimony of someone who experienced this look and live situation. Let me read it to you. In January, on January the 6th in 1850, a 15-year-old boy was trudging on, he's actually in England, he was trudging up Hythe Hill in Colchester on his way to church. When the blizzard prevented him from going further, he turned the corner and made his way into a small primitive Methodist church on Artillery Street. This story is recounted in his own words. He says, he says that each, he said he, he recounted the story hundreds of times. I don't even bother reading you that. He told this story all his life, and you're going to see who the person is in a minute. And here's what he said: When I could go no further, I turned down a court and came to the little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, uh, there might have been a dozen or fifteen people. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. A poor man who was not a minister, who was like a tradesman, got up to preach. Uh, and it says, 
He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had no education and he had nothing else, only the text. So he kept repeating his text was, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. So he just repeated this text. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was I, um, uh, there, uh, there was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in the text, look unto me. Uh, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. So the preacher began to preach, and he said, My dear friend, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, Look, this is, this is the actual words now from the sermon. Now that does not take a great deal of effort, the man said. It ain't lifting your foot, your finger. It's just, Look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand years. A man might not be worth a thousand pounds a year. You know how long ago that was when they thought that was a lot of money. A man might not be worth a thousand pounds a year to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But this is what the text says. Look unto me. I, he said in this broad Essex accent, many of you are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. Look, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I am, I am risen again. Look unto me, I ascend. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me, look to me. When he had got about that length and managed to spin out another ten minutes, he was at the length of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery. And I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. He then said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made on my personal appearance and the custom before, from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, and you will always be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist can. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. And there and then, the cloud was gone, and the darkness was rolled away, and at that moment, I saw the Son of God, and I saw that his blood had been shed for me. That was the moment that Charles Haddon Spurgeon looked to Jesus and saw what he had done on the cross for him and moved into this new life. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was born the 19th of June 1834 and he lived until the 31st of January 1892. He was a Baptist preacher and he still remains highly influential among Christians of all churches and he's still referred to as the Prince of Preachers. Spurgeon was a pastor of the congregation of New Park Street Chapel or later became the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London for 38 years. In 1867, he started a charity organisation which is now called Spurgeon's and works globally. He also founded Spurgeon's College, which was named after him. Spurgeon authored many types of works, including sermons, one autobiography, commentaries, books on prayer, devotionals, magazines, poetry, hymns and more. Many sermons were transcribed as he spoke and were translated into many languages throughout his lifetime. 
He is said to have produced powerful sermons of penetrating thought and precise exposition. His oratory skills are said to have been have, are said to have held his listeners spellbound in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and many Christians hold his writings in exceptionally high regard among devotional literature. This is the man who, in one moment, saw Jesus on the cross for him, and realised that when he looked. To Jesus, when he saw Jesus, that something had happened inside of him that not only cleansed him from his sin, but sealed him with the Holy Spirit. And this is the life that he lived. I want to say to you, you or I mightn't be Charles Haddon Spurgeon's, but I'll tell you, God has a plan written over your life. But he needs you not just to be cleansed, and it's wonderful to be forgiven, that's Thank the Lord for that. If we didn't have that constant cleansing by the blood of Jesus, we would be, where would we be? But he wants you to understand that the moment you receive him as your saviour and receive his forgiveness, he wants you to get this, that the Holy Spirit moves in your heart, baptises you in the spirit in Christ, makes your spirit that was dead, makes it alive, and actually you are now equipped to hear God and to move at the, as the Holy Spirit breathes on you in ways that you don't understand. You don't know what's coming or what's going, but in ways as you trust in faith and as you allow the Spirit to breathe on you, you will begin to live a life that's outside of what you have yet understood. And on Sunday night here we were worshipping, and on Sunday night just in the middle of worship, you know I just had this like a fresh illumination of, of the Lord saying to me, you know me a certain amount more. Are you willing to ask me to show you more of what I'm like. And I said, Lord, I want to know more about you. Show me more of who you are. Show me how to live more into what you've called for my life. And that's what I believe God said to every single one of you. Don't stick with the level that you're at. Don't think I've arrived and that I know it all, I've got it all. No, the Spirit blows on you. You don't know where he's coming or what he's doing. But listen, what he's doing is the best. But he needs you to trust him and to step out in faith. And begin to move by the Spirit of God and see God's Spirit move and do wondrous things. Remember, He's supernatural, abundant, wonderful, precious Holy Spirit. And He's inside you. And He wants you to give Him permission to move and to breathe on you and to do to do all that He wants you to do. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray this morning that all of us will get a fresh glimpse of Jesus. That we will look and live. Look and live. Lord, would you help us to open our eyes spiritually and to take a look at you and to realise that you want us to live in a way that we have not yet even understood. Another level of living for you and God. We call it forth in Jesus' name. That hearts will respond this morning. That we will look into your face. And that we will say, yes, Lord, we want to live. We look to you. We see you've done it all for us. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Breathe afresh on us. Do what you want to do in Jesus' name. We're going to, we're going to stand and we're going to sing this song. It's been going through my mind for this last week or two. Worthy is the Lamb. Let's sing this song and let's open up our spirits to him. Let's, may we get even a fresh glimpse of Jesus and how much he loves us as we sing this song. Worthy is the Lamb, seated on the throne. We crown you now with many crowns. 
you reign victorious. High and lifted up. He was high and lifted up on the cross, but he's high and lifted up now at the right hand of his Father. And he is interceding for you. He prays for you. The Holy Spirit prays for you. All of heaven is for you. All of heaven is saying, step out and trust me and move forward into this abundant life that Jesus came to give you. Look to me on the ends of the world, for there is none else. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for Jesus, your beloved son. Amen. You know that we're here. We would love to pray for anyone. If you feel you want more of what we're talking about or you just want someone to pray with you, we're here. Please come up to the front and we'll pray and stand with you.